Welcome back to another brand new episode of the Seven Lakes Sports Podcast. My special guest for today is Dave Pollock. He is the head women's uh, cross-country coach here for the Seven Lakes Spartans. And Coach is a guy that I've actually known for a while, uh, quite a while. <laughs> he, he he earned his stripes out there in Fort Bend County. But let's just start from the very beginning, Coach. We're, let's just start. Where, where are you from and, and what ended up bringing you down here to Texas? Well, I'm originally from New York. I moved down here in 95. Um, I was, uh, you know, just trying to find a job, a kid trying to find a job. I had a buddy of mine who lived down here and he said, come on down. You'll find a job at the end of a week. I had four offers and packed up, never looked back. And then I, uh, I kicked around. I did a year at Hitchcock, three at Willow Ridge, 12 at Hightower. Yeah. And this is now my 13th at seven legs. So let's just, I remember you from the Hightower times coach. And I mean, you, you really, just to give some of the fans perspective, just share a little bit about your time there. Cause you were very successful. Uh, leading the hurricanes i'm just yeah. let's just give a quick rundown of your time there on a uh, hurricane lane <laughs> uh, it's a great time a lot of good memories i became the head coach there in 2004 uh, we won district that first year then marshall opened up we lost two years straight to marshall before winning from uh, 2007 all the way up to 2010 we had two regional titles including a state championship in 2007 where we set a national record in the four by 200 meter relay yep. So it was great there. And then I, uh, I did come over in 2010 and uh, came into this job in 2012. Uh, and it's been it, it was interesting because when I came here, everyone said, why would you give up Hightower to go to Seven Lakes for track of all things? And I, and I told people, I said, I think it's the right place. And yeah. uh, I think it's it's about time. And uh, since I've gotten here, the girls have never finished worse than second in district and track. Uh, we have now six district championships, you know, minus one COVID year. So it's been real well. We've we've also won the last two regional titles on the track side. We had two relays win state uh, in the four by one and four by four two years ago. And a couple of those kids are still coming back. So we'll just see what we can do. And coach, you know, one cool thing about your resume, I mean, you mentioned it, I believe said 14 years at Hightower and 12 years at Seven Lakes. That's just incredible longevity in the coaching profession. Can you kind of speak to that? Like what, what keeps you around for so long at, at one stop? I mean, that's, that's just uh, really something to be admired. Well, it, it's, it's the kids. Yeah. It, it always is the kids. I mean, it, even the Hightower kids, it, it was very hard to leave them. And so sure. many of those kids I still see on Facebook, talk to on Twitter they follow me. I contact them. Actually, it was really kind of funny. Some of my former football players from Hightower who graduated in 2001, yeah, they invited me to watch their own children play uh, football in a youth league. And it was That's kind awesome. of funny because they, they installed the offense and defense that we ran back in high school and they were coaching the same way. And it just did my heart good to, to be associated with the kids and, and see what they do. And any time that the kids just, you know, ask you just hey coach what do you think and how do you feel on this it, it's just a wonderful feeling and it's you do it for the relationships you you do it for you know the the meaning that you, you give to kids and and just what they give back to you they keep me young Absolutely. I, I always tell my wife you know i'm i'm still a child in a 50 year old body <laughs> no i love that coach i mean i i remember those high tower teams because i graduated from austin in 2002 so I remember Corey Rogers and Anthony Smith, and Frank Salter. And another guy I remember is Herbert Taylor. Cause we competed against other and shot putting discus. Oh, I'll tell you this Herbert Taylor. Now he runs a barbecue joint after his eight years in the NFL. Yeah. 
He runs a barbecue joint over on uh, uh, Old Spanish Trail near the University of Houston. You ever want some good barbecue? His barbecue is killer. Ray's Barbecue Shack. It is ridiculous. That's awesome, man. Right, sorry for the shameless plug. But... No, absolutely. No, I, I love support Herbert, man. He was incredible. The only time I can claim to beat him in anything, well, he kicked my butt in discus and football and all that, but I got him in the shot put. I actually did finish oh, yeah. second in my senior year, so I was able to edge him out. I was able to go to regionals, uh, but didn't advance past that. District was, was my highlight. Back then, back then, I was the throws coach at Hightower. Oh, wow. So, you, man, we might have been sitting right there at the circle. Was oh, that, yeah, I believe that Willow Ridge High School I that looked, year. I looked a lot different. I, you know, I got yeah, a little fuzzy over the years. And coach, one thing I did want to ask you, you know, I was reading, I was reading your, your background. You're like me, you're a former thrower. And so yes. I just wondered, I'm a thrower that, you know, after, after retire, you know, <laughs> graduating, essentially retiring, you know, from that, from throwing, mm-hmm. I got into running after playing football and I've tried to, you know, I, I enjoy running. I, I yeah. you know, cross country is essentially a five kilometer race, you know, yes. correct. And so I like running five Ks. I was actually looking up my, my old records uh, here before coming on the show, <laughs> my all time record. And this is almost a decade ago was a 2154. Okay. Not that's bad good. for a 225-pound no, guy, but definitely nothing. No, like... that's real good. Shoot, <laughs> I wish I could do that. I, I got too much weight. I, I was a thrower in high school and college, and I kept the thrower body. So, <laughs> so five coach, days were never my forte. The thing I want to ask you, though, is because, like, for someone like us, it's, you know, our backgrounds in throwing, it's it's yes. definitely different, you know. But you've been able to come over to the, the running side of track and field so seamlessly. I'm just curious. Was there a learning curve for you or, oh, or how, what can you explain to me just being going from a throwing background into now being a su- successful cross country coach? You know, I, I sat there and I'll be honest. I, I think it's one of the reasons that, you know, I won in 2004, that first district championship, not knowing what I was doing. Sure. I was just like, okay, I'm going to kind of put everything on cruise control, everything that's been set up for me. But the next two years when we didn't do well, those I look back and say, that's my fault. Cause I was doing things wrong that I didn't know. And then finally, one of the coaches who I worked with, Barry Abercrombie, who became the head coach mm-hmm. at Klein Forest yep. and then moved on, he just said, Dave, he says, don't be indecisive. Make one workout, one set of workouts. Do what you believe and stick with it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work that year, make your changes. Yeah. And I took that to heart and I just started getting my workouts all together, started you know, learning more from people around me. Uh, you know, one of the best things I did, and this was, oh my God, years and years and years ago was uh, coach Gary Dirks over at Cinco Ranch had won two state titles in 2004 and 2005. And he was at a, a meet at Rice University and I just sat down with him because he was just watching. And I picked his brain for about three or four hours. Yeah. What he does, how he handles this, how he structures this. And I just, you know, you, you learn from the best people around you. And you take what you can and whatever you feel just doesn't fit with your mode, your philosophy, you push it off to the side and, and just keep rolling. And, and I'm still doing that. I still learn as much as I can. I still watch videos. I still read books. Uh, you know, there's too many great people out there. And there's a lot of young people coming up who have great ideas. And some of us old dogs have to actually listen to them and just sure. not say, well, that's not what I do. Well, you know what? Sometimes you really need to just sit and listen and learn. Man, coach, I love that growth mindset that you have. And so it's it's no it's no surprise you've been so successful for decades. Now, honestly, decades of success you, you've had at Hightower and now Seven Lakes. But let's let's turn our attention to the Seven Lakes portion. And you know, th- this season we we are we are right on the cusp of the district championship meet this yep. week. This this episode will be released after the completion of the meets, but we're we're recording it before. So just kind of give us an overall rundown 
of of how you feel about this 2022 edition of Seven Lakes Cross Country, and also then what how you feel going into this big district meet. Well, you know, KDISD when it comes to cross country is synonymous with success in Region Three. Uh, we have sent at least two, and quite often three or four teams mm -hmm. onto the state meet uh, from this region. So, getting out of district is always a dogfight. Right. You never really know who's gonna. Uh, turn it up at the right time and, and get everything in in the right order. Uh, and this is one of those years where we kind of don't know. We're still, even after all this time, this will only be our third 5K of the season. So, uh, you know, we're still trying to put together, okay, who, who's the best person doing this and that? We've been tinkering with things all season, moving some people into a particular races and out of particular races changing some of the things that we're doing as far as training wise to see where we're at. Uh, so going into this, it's going to be an utter dogfight. Uh, Tompkins is very strong this year. Jordan is also fairly strong this year. Katie is always one of the toughest teams that you face in almost every sport. Sure. Um, Cinco is, is tough. They return a lot of people from a team that went to state and made Creek is on the rise. For us, again, it's it's been a rough one this year. We have a very good senior class, and we have a lot of freshmen. But what we're lacking a lot this year is that depth, sure. that second tier where if one kid gets injured, boom, you could pop another one in. And that's what we've had for years and years, but the opening of Jordan. Right. And then yep. on top of that, you know, cross country is one of those things that a lot of people don't know about too much. And then trying to get kids out during the last two COVID years, it's been it's been tough. A lot of times we weren't able to get to the campuses and recruit as heavily as we want to. Right. So where I have 12 seniors and I have 10 freshmen, I only have 11 in the two middle classes. So our depth has wow. been an issue. Yeah, yeah. And and we've we've had a couple of injuries. So this is going to be a rough one, but we're we're digging in and doing everything we can to, to try and get the best team out there and give a shot or get, get us a chance to, to get up there, get well, on coach, the, the podium. I, no, I, I love, I love just some of the peaks behind the curtain that you're giving us and you're giving parents and fans listening at home, because well, number one, I love how you talked about the coaching fraternity. There's not really a lot of secrets. I mean, honestly, coaches always say, I didn't come up with any of this stuff. We, we steal it all. <laughs> just like you said, yeah. we talk to others and I love how you describe that. So I think parents, I think that's interesting for parents to know that, we network as coaches and it's, oh, it's professionals, just like any other professional organization, we share ideas. So thank you for sharing that. But I also love what you brought up about the new schools and you and I being from Fort Bend, we've seen this over and over and over again. Oh, absolutely. The new schools that come, be it Hightower, Bush, Marshall, they Ridgepoint, they typically come and have immediate success. And what that does is it does hurt some of those surrounding absolutely. schools for, in the beginning. And there's yes. a transition period. So you've had to weather that. But the, la the thing I want to ask you, Coach, is Coach Hammond and Coach Catiline, who've come on this show, have both told me this freshman class has been incredible for them. There there's so much yeah. winning going on. It sounds like that's the same thing for you. So can you just talk about, is there like a special buzz coming from this this freshman class at Seven Lakes High School? It just seems like everyone's winning. Yeah, I believe that, that there is. I mean, at one time, we were looking at, you know, a cross-country team only has seven athletes. At one time, we were looking at five of them potentially running varsity. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you come in with that amount and, and we have two who were, we're really, we can put them on varsity or we could sit there and say, okay, 
let's let's try and win uh, the freshman championship, depending upon where it all pans out. Right, right. You know, but a couple of them, like I said, five at one time or possibly varsity. But the other thing, again, since we don't really have an established cross country program at the junior high level, right? They're they're just starting out. So you you take a kid and you you try and build them, but they're not used to running you know, 21 to 28 miles a week for right. 12, 15 weeks. So you, we're getting to this time of the season. We have three of those kids who may not even run at district, uh, you know, and sure. a couple of them that was like, okay, you were going to do the 5k, but you're coming off of this injury. Let's move you just to the two mile. You have a better chance of success. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, it's, you know, at this time of season, a lot of the programs, just like a football program in week nine, you're just holding it together with uh, bailing wire and duct tape and hoping sure. that you can finish as well as you can. Can you explain just, can you explain some of that as far as the, are there two distances in cross country? I, I thought it was just the 5k, but is there also a two mile option? Yes. Okay. They're, typically the freshman teams run a two mile. I see. Okay. I got you. And then the varsity runs yep. the 5k. So, you know, it's, we've, we've moved people up and down depending just upon sure. Sure. where they're at in their training, where they're at as far as injuries coming off of it. Uh, and, and you know, it's, we're, we're looking for a good showing and we'll just see what kind of what happens. And also for any fans listening that maybe aren't so familiar to cross country, can you explain, this is what I loved about track coach. I was a thrower, so it was individual. It was just me, but I, coach Brantley challenged me at the beginning of the year, Kobe, <laughs> I need you to get 50 and coach. I threw it one time. And that was that meet we're talking about one time I hit 50 feet my entire life. And that was at that meet. But at the same, yeah, but at the same time, coach, you get, you probably, I, mean, I know you get this. I was so happy to come back to coach Brantley and the team and say, Hey, I got second. I got his eight points. Absolutely. So it's that mixture of individual plus team. So can you explain for, for fans maybe that aren't so familiar? I mean, yes, you're trying to get your team out of districts, but also you can get individuals that advance, yes. right? So can you kind of explain how, how it works as far as who's going to advance from district onto so, regionals? So the way that this works is they take the top three teams Mm-hmm. which is kind of unusual because if you think of all the other sports, sure, football, you take four. That's right. Basketball, you take four. Volleyball, you take four. Cross country, only take three. Just because there's no in-between meets, you go right from district to the regional championship. And if you took four, that would actually end up being 32 teams on the line at once, which, which would just be right. a massive, right. massive right. meet. So it is better in a way just to take the three teams. It makes it safer for each individual athlete. So the top three teams will advance. But then any individual, if you are on not on one of those teams, if you are an individual athlete who finishes in the top 10 as an individual, you also move on to the regional championship. Okay. So you can be an individual, you know, on a team which is not doing well. But if you yourself are doing very well, you could make it all the way to the state meet essentially as a solo act. Very interesting. Okay. And then if you are on one of those three teams that advances, all of their team advances, or even if so, even if maybe there's one slower leg, they all oh, advance yes. if the team. Okay. Yes. Interesting. All seven athletes advance. And then actually going on to the regional, you're also allowed to designate three alternates. So you always take about 10 people with you to the regional meet. And coach, you know, a couple more questions I want to ask you before we get out of here for today. Yes, sir. We're, we're assuming, of course, that that we or we're hoping, you know, we know it's going to be tough competition, but we, we want to advance. But if if for whatever reason the team failed to advance, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure some people may want to be curious. What's the next step? 
in cross country? What what do the athletes do? Is there kind of a break period where you recover from the season? And what, what are they transitioning ne- into next? Do all of your athletes run track for you? I imagine are they your distance uh, you know team on the track or what, what's next for the for the students in your cross country team? Yeah, it's every year when we get done with our cross country season, no matter if we make it to the state meet or go out of district, I always give our kids two weeks off. Sure, they need to get away from it. They need to recover. They need to, you know, mentally get themselves back where they need to be. Then we begin resuming training. The one thing that's super different about individual sports in relation to team sports, team sports, the UIL designates a specific period of time where you are allowed to start practice on this day and go until your season ends. And then you're not allowed to practice as a team until this next season starts. Cross country, swimming, golf, we are allowed to coach our athletes year round. Okay. And we do. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, this group of athletes that I have working now, many of them have been working with me since June. We basically started June 8th and we go all the way through cross country. We take two weeks, then we lower their mileage to a very lower, low level and try and keep them running and working on the things that make them better through Christmas. Mm-hmm. And then we begin training in earnest again. Uh, in January for track season. Yes, yeah. my distance runners become my milers, two sure. milers, yep. 800 meter runners. And we'll go all the way through track season. And then again, we'll take two mile, two weeks off and then start the progress up again for cross country. So it's, that's the one thing about this job. It is a never ending job with cross country. It's you, you don't get many breaks. <laughs> uh, no doubt about it, coach. And I, I'm fascinated by that. The, the periodization aspect of what you do as a cross country and track coach and that, you know, our football players, we have them in the fall, but then it's off season the rest of the year. You're in competition mode with, with yeah. your athletes throughout, throughout the majority of the yeah. year. It's, that's intense. Yeah. We, you know, it's during track season. We do try and kind of limit their mileage a little bit right. because it's the longest race that they'll do in track is a two mile. That's right. Yeah. So we try and keep their mileage, you know, at, typically right under 30 miles a week but once we get done with track and we give them a couple weeks off we lower their mileage down about 14 miles a week and begin building up for cross country where cross country we really want our athletes at 35 to 42 miles a week which seems like oh my god it's a huge amount and some of the runs are i mean you have a kid on 42 miles a week they're going on a 12 mile long run yeah uh, you know but <laughs> But then other days they're only running four miles a day. And if, if they build up to that mileage, they can handle it. And honestly, they often ask us for more. Some of the boys, I know you're going to talk to Coach Kinney, some yep. of the boys in our program uh, are at 70 miles a week. And nice. some of the boys that were on the state championship team that Coach Rathke had here back in 2007, uh, they were up to over 100 miles in a week. Wow, it, yeah. which is mind blowing because you're running a, a morning run and an afternoon run, and yeah, you got to have highly motivated athletes who who want to do that. And he's he's had some outstanding ones, coach. And last question for you that I I find interesting, and I've I've seen in the past sometimes you know uh, I host another podcast called the Team Player Podcast, and I've talked to some basketball coaches, and sometimes you know a basketball coach perhaps may have had their athletes run the cross country team. And I, I've witnessed that when I was in high school. And I'm just curious, <laughs> it, it sounds like you guys are extremely dedicated to your mileage and your time. I mean, is it something where other sports, like do you get other sports kind of doing cross country to train or is it just too much of a workload? Or, uh, well, I'm just curious about that. I, over the course of my time here, I've had swimmers and swimmers yeah. work great because 
you, you know, you make them run your quality days and then their recovery days, go jump in the pool. Very cool. The, um, but I've had basketball players. I've We've had a lot of success with soccer players. Absolutely. Um, we've had, I think we had one or two volleyball players, but mainly yeah. we've had a lot of basketball players compete. We've had, you know, of course, track and, and definitely some soccer kids. And the, the big thing is, uh, you know, you just have to have coaches who are willing to work with you. And luckily I've been blessed with, to work with a lot of people who just want to see their kids successful. Absolutely. And, and, and we work together. It's, uh, you know, you, you never want to sit there and tell a kid, no, I don't want you there. I don't want you here. You got to do this. Uh, it's actually, I'm trying to recruit some of my kids because coach DeMarchi, our wrestling coach, he needs some kids at the lower weight levels. And I have some fighters with me. I so love like, it. You, you got to get this. <laughs> she got to wrestle. She's mean. So yeah. it's, it's some good stuff. Man, I, Coach, ever since I've, I've started hosting the Seven Lakes podcast, I've just been so impressed. I mean, I've known Coach Hammond, the athletic coordinator, for a long time. I've heard him brag about your athletic department. But now actually getting to kind of come inside the inner workings and talk to y'all, it's just so refreshing. Seeing uh, Carrie Finnison, you know, the principal, promoting everything on Twitter and just hearing the coaches talking. You're sharing athletes because you just want what's best for them. I'm, I'm just so impressed. And it's there's been so much success, and I think a goal, another golden age is coming with these freshmen <laughs> at Seven Lakes High School. But man, coach, this has been so refreshing. And any parents listening, if you know other athletes, like coach said, maybe you don't, maybe they haven't heard of the cross country program, send them out there. I mean, I think after listening to this interview, you see you've got a heck of a leader in Coach Pollock of over 20 years, successful experience. So, coach, any last words, man? I've I just really enjoyed this visit. But any last words you want to share with the fans before we sign off? Just, you know, keep working hard with your kids, keep supporting anything that they want to do. doesn't matter what it is. It may sound weird to you, like cross country. Yeah. We tell our parents, if, if you know, your kid is doing cross country, you're doing cross country too, because until they can drive themselves, you're waking up and bringing them to practice because sure. practice is at 6 a.m. So just support them in whatever they want to do. And, you know, go Spartans. Let's get after it. I love it. And and as coach alluded to, next week we'll have uh Scott Kenny coming on, your 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 partner there uh, on the on the cross country and track circuit and he'll speak about the the men's side and yeah, we, we're going to wish you all the best of luck coach. Thank you for joining us today and go Spartans. Thank you very much. Have a great evening. All right, welcome back to the Seven Lakes Sports Podcast. Had a great time talking to Dave Pollock uh with the Seven Lake Women's Cross Country Program, but now we're going to turn our attention back to the gridiron. I'm joined as I am each week by head football coach Jimmy Hammond. And coach, 31 to 21 loss to Katie Jordan. Another very close competitive game against a team that has raised so many eyebrows in, in, in Jordan this year, the Warriors. Just first of all, just just what are your first thoughts coming off that another tight loss? But what what are your thoughts after the Katie Jordan game? Well, I guess I would say I'm tired of having to tell you all the time that uh <laughs> here we are again in another halftime you know, very tight game at the half and taking it down to the, to get, taking it down to the wire again. Um, I, I will, I want to tell you that uh, it's time for us to get on the other side uh, of those wins. And, you know, uh, I guess for the fans out there who are listening, I want to tell you that we're, we're not giving up and we're working hard and we're right there on the cusp of, of doing what everybody wants us to do. Um, and so we're frustrated too, um, you know, because we feel like we're better than our record says and uh, we're not, uh, you know, seeing the success on the scoreboard, there's a lot of good things going on uh, for, for our program. And, and uh, you know, I thought we played really good. You know, we had an opportunity to kind of fold. We gave up 14 points in like the first six minutes of the game. 
but we really battled back to get the game to 17-14 at the half. And then we had it within 10 points uh, going down the score. Well, we're going to make it a one-score game. We got a, a crucial holding call, which I'll, I'll, I'll say first, and I don't believe it was a holding call. Uh, so that one hurt us, ended up having to punt in that situation, and that really kind of you know, hurt our momentum and, and hurt the flow of the game, uh, in my opinion. I'm not saying we lost because of one holding call. Don't get me wrong. But sure. I am saying that was a crucial call in a crucial moment, and, and it was a, a, an, a, a factor in, in that drive for sure. So – um, you know, we got a team this week, and I know you're going to talk about it later, but you know, we got a team this week we feel like we can we can match up with and handle, and so we're looking to get on the other side this this week. Absolutely, and, you know, the thing to be encouraged about, every time that Jordan punched, we punched back. I mean, look at this box score. You talk about going down 14 nothing. I mean, we <laughs> scored 14 points in the second quarter. Same thing in the second half. You know, it, it was a 7-7 to fourth quarter, so down the stretch we're still, you know, swinging. Uh, and going down to the wire with them. But we do come up short. The scoring plays for the Spartans, uh, Barrett Hudson, a five-yard touchdown run. I see uh, Tanner Perez to Evan Tomody pass from seven yards out. And then finally, Marcel Davis uh, concluded the scoring of a 23-yard reception from Tanner Perez. So that's that's our scoring plays. Looking at some of the overall statistics. Coach, let's talk about Tanner Perez again. 13 to 20. I know last week he took a little bit of a dip in his completion percentage, but he comes back this week. 13 to 26, 147, two touchdowns, two big touchdowns. There was the one interception, but you, I mean, looking at the numbers, it seems like this was a bounce back game, you know, for Tanner in a lot of different areas. But how did you feel about your quarterback's performance? Yeah, he, he played well down the stretch. You know, as you can see, uh, we, I think we threw uh, almost evenly number of passes as runs. Um, we know we got in a two minute situation where we needed to, you know, push the ball down the field. So we're, you know, throwing, throwing the ball more than we were running the ball. Um, but he did a good job. I'll tell you one thing he does is he'll stand in there and deliver the deliver the throw even with pressure in his face. And so he got knocked down several times as he was delivering a throw. Uh, talk about the the play to Evan Tomalty. You know, it was a play action pass near the goal line, and and he had to he had to you know turn his back uh, on the play action fake. And when he got around, he was open. He threw the pass to him out in the flats and took a big hit. Um, he did that several times. His toughness is uh, really 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 something I'm proud of because. You know, he being, you know, more of a pro style offense that we are right now, um, he sits in the pocket a lot more. And in order to do that, um, you have to be willing to take a hit after you throw. And he's been doing that really well. So I'm proud of him for that. You know, I, I know that, you know, he, he's when uh, you know, he get his feet off platform a little bit, you know, he, he'll, he'll miss a throw that he might should make. Um, but more often than not, he's doing everything we ask him to do. So really proud, really proud of really his toughness and his grit. That, he, that he's been showing all year long. Really nice spray chart here as I look at the receiving statistics. You know, four receivers going over, you know, really over close to 20 yards in receiving. Tom Woody had the, the two catches for 17 yards and the touchdown. Landon Ross, two catches, 20 yards. Barrett Hudson out of the backfield, three receptions, 41 yards. And I, I can pretty much set my clock to a Marcel Davis leading, leading the production. Uh, six for 69 again, one touchdown. I've said it before, Jimmy. I cannot wait. I wish I could be a fly on the wall in that all-district pick meeting. I am big team Davis first team. I really hope you can find a way to convince those other coaches because I just think Marcel Davis just so consistently putting up big numbers. And, hey, we know how good these other coaches are in 196A. Surely if they want to, they can scheme to stop them. Now, I know that having a big threat like Landon Ross kind of helps negate that. You kind of have several threats you got to worry about, so maybe you can't double-team Marcel Davis. But just 
I'm just fascinated by Davis's consistent performance. Can you just speak to one more time your senior receivers uh, production out there? We found out pretty quick. That's exactly, they did exactly what you talked about as we move Marcel around in both the, you know, the outside receiver and the slot receiver, they were taking their best corner and shadowing wow. everywhere around the field. So we were looking for ways to yeah. uh, get him the matchup we wanted, but even against, you know, their bet, their better corners, he was still making plays. Um, he's just a great route runner, good with the ball in the air. Um, and really, you know, for us can do all the, all the types of things we need him to do the screen plays, the intermediate passing game, and then running, running by somebody. Uh, that's he caught a post on the, on the, on his final catch of the day for the, for the touchdown. And he made a great, you know, stem to the outside, got underneath the cornerback, you know, made a good play on the ball, you know, in, in the air and Tanner made a good pass that only he could catch. And so he's just, you know, whether you want to try to stop him or not, when, when, um, when you, when you get down to it, he's continues to be productive, even with, you know, some scheme against him and some better players uh, on the other, other team shadowing him. So, um, real, real impressed with what Marcel's done, and I promise you, it won't be for a lack of trying to get him on the first team uh, because yes. he definitely deserves it. Man, and ultimate sign of respect as an old coach. An ultimate sign of respect is when another team is going to scheme specifically to you. So, so kudos to Marcel Davis. Hopefully, I can meet the young man one day when I swing by the school because I've just I've just been a huge fan of his performance this, this season uh, in his last year. Coach, again, you're an old special teams coordinator. I know that about you. You put a big priority on special teams. Again, I'm looking at a four punts for 160 yards. Even I can do that math. Another 40-yard average. you got to be beaming as the old special teams coordinator. I mean, I, that's – and especially you like to play defense and have field position, run the football. So, again, the the, the value of, of the, your, your punt team, how, how important has that been? Yeah, Mateus Chagas did a great job on he – he had a high snap um, that he actually had to go back and field and was able to get it off and got a great roll on it. Um, he also had another one that he really boomed down the right side, really turned it over, took a great roll. Um, and so he's done well for us really all year long. And when he hits it like he's capable of, he's as good as anybody in the district. Um, so, uh, you know, he he did that twice for us, really turned the field over in crucial moments. And and that gave us the opportunity uh, to to hold Jordan at bay a little bit. Okay, turning our attention over to the defensive side, looking at the tackle chart. Wow, Preston Bozeman. Double-digit tackles, 10-and-a-half tackles. Dekaius Brinkley registered uh, five tackles. I'm seeing uh, Chika Azima productive in his D-line spot, seven-and-a-half tackles. Uh, those are some of the main ones that I see popping out. I see Bryce Turner forced a fumble. Uh, Satin Haynes recovered that fumble. Pass breakups from Austin Easterling and Isaac Radke. So productive Night out on the spreadsheet here defensively. Any what things you want to highlight about your defensive performance? Uh, two things I think you know, Preston Bozeman playing inside linebacker for us, and he's he has steadily improved each and every week. Um, he is learning to play behind the behind the zone, uh, cutback plays, mm -hmm. um, really making tackles, uh, because of his ability to you know slow down. I think you know, from the casual fan, might think, well, the linebacker just goes in there and you know, just flows over the top and makes and makes uh, plays on the play side all the time. And sometimes that's true, but sometimes the ball does cut back. And, and if you coach it correctly and if your player plays it correctly, then you're going to see a lot of times where the, the linebackers actually fit behind where the ball was intended to go. The runner has to cut back, and there there is Preston sitting there right where he's supposed to be. Um, the other guy I want to highlight is Satin Haynes. And although Chica – 
did have a few more tackles. Satin Haynes played really, really well. We played him at both nose and at end all, all night long. We've been doing that all year, just, uh, you know, mixing up our, our D-line matchups. But he played really, really well, played really hard, uh, made some, some good plays at the line of scrimmage, um, and I was really proud of him. What year is Satin Haynes? That's the first time Satin's I've seen that junior. name. Okay, Satin's excellent. Junior, so we have him coming back. And Coach Hammond, I know when you talk about playing behind the zone, you live this with Phil Dober, your defensive coordinator, and myself. We had a player at Ridgepoint named Jay Fan, and I know you're thinking exactly what I'm thinking right here. A player like Easterling, which I'm, I, I, I just know he's probably an aggressive, physical type of kid, which is great, but sometimes that can run you out of the play, and we had that same experience of Jay Fan. But eventually, once you take the coaching and listen to the tutelage of, of Coach Dober and you learn how to play behind it, you actually become more productive. So can you just can you speak to your defensive coordinator, you know, a guy that I've known a long time, Coach Dober? Just teaching a concept like that is not easy. I, I've lived it, you know. Can, can you speak to the, those little things that go on behind the scenes that we may not notice as fans in the stands, that those little adjustments that Coach Dober has been able to make to help, help, help Easterling make those tackles? Uh, you talk about Preston Bozeman. At, at... Did I say – I'm sorry uh, – Yes, Bozeman. I'm sorry. Okay. I cut the name. Yeah, no problem. Yeah, we can talk about each thing too if you want. But uh, but Preston's done an outstanding job for us and really improved. And I think one thing that, you know, if you were really like watching us week in and week out is you'll see that we have answer after answer for for the things that the other team's going to do. Um, you know, one of the reasons why, I didn't say it earlier, but you brought it up, you know, Phil Phil had us in a little bit different. I mean, we, we were in at times in a four-man front, which we normally don't play. And so it left Preston, you know, pretty much what you would call a true Mike backer right over the center. And so we were playing with four defensive linemen. We dropped Brinkley down and and used him as an end at times and as a three technique at times, which is a, a shade on the guard. And so that left Preston alone in the middle to have to do what he did. Um, and so he's doing a great job of like mixing up and really having an answer before the other team is ready with an adjustment to your answer. So it's like, it's, you know, we talk about football's, you know, chestnut checkers sometimes. And so you're always thinking, uh, okay, so if we do it this way, what would their response be? And then what would my response be to that? And he does a great job. You know, you know, and I know he's a very intelligent, um, working hard, uh, always coming up with a, a good game plan. And sometimes that means it's outside of our normal scheme, uh, but it's something that is is going to work for us. And, and so, you know, most of the night we played in, in our, you know, three, four, but we had mixed it up with an even front. And, and for a while there in the middle quarters, we played that primarily because it was working and because it was working, why go away from it? And that did leave Preston that the ability to play behind some of those uncutbacks and, and did a good job of making those plays. So couldn't be more impressed with, with uh, how Preston played, but also the way, you know, Phil gets the job done on the defensive side of the ball. And obviously – Coach Dober doing a great job, but we would, we would be remiss also to talk about your offensive side of the ball and the consistency throughout the year. Another three-score performance, three-touchdown performance. Matt Holster is your offensive coordinator. And obviously, I know everyone on the staff contributes, both on the offense, defense side of the ball. But for the sake of time, we can't recognize every coach. But can you talk about your, you know, your working of Coach Holster and what you guys are doing on the offensive side of the ball? Yeah, Matt is an O-line coach, and you can feel it um, yes. when, when yes. he's getting the game plan together. Um, and I and it's it's just – it, it kind of how do I say it right? If you're an O-line coach, you're going to be scheming the runs first, and then you worry about the passes next. If you were a quarterback coach or a receiver coach, you might do it the other way. There's not one right way to do it, uh, but you have balance, and we've had a lot of balance uh, this year. We've had 
Uh, our offensive line has played really, really well. Uh, most almost all, all year long. And we've continued, you know, this was a little bit down rushing stat wise, but, you know, we always finding ways to, to get the job done. You know, we have to scheme a little bit differently this week and next uh, for because of an even front. Uh, we did have an injury on the offensive line and we had to move our left tackle, to right guard. That's Josh better. He moved from left tackle to right guard and put in a, a new left tackle and Dylan McGee. And so that he had a, a new five to, to coach. And although he's been coaching those guys all year, it's a different combination. Uh, I think he did a great job scheming up the even front this week um, and then finding ways to uh, play action pass off of the passes that have been oh, off the runs, excuse me, that have been mm-hmm. successful to make things look exactly like the runs look and then taking your shots down the field and doing that's allowed Marcel and Landon to have the kind of years they've had. And then now, you know, looking at the team defensive production that we always uh, like to do, uh, I, I really like the way that you guys are analytically driven. We've talked several times on the show that we're looking for that. The threshold is three points per possession, right? So we're trying to get underneath it. This time we checked in at 3.1. So how did you feel about meeting your goal? And if, obviously we know of Jordan, they've been, they're known for their offense. Uh, you know, that skill positions are, are very strong, especially with the ability to, to you know, knock the top off the defense, so to speak, with their speed at receivers. So how did you feel about that 3.1 points per possession in this outing? I think that's just indicative of the way the season's gone. You know, we're right there on the threshold of what we want. And that's how, that, that's how close we were, you know, um, you know, a play away or inches away or however you want to say it, you know, being right over where you want to be and right under with the score you want to, to be in. So I think that's really in, in kind of kind of the way the season's gone this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I was, in, I was glad to slow them Jordan down because they have really uh, exploded against a lot of teams in our district. And I don't think they did against us, uh, but they also played pretty good defense against us. So, you know, I got to tip your hat sometimes to them because this was a pretty clean ball game all around. Um, a few explosive plays on either side, and it really came down to the wire. I think I would love to know this. I, I doubt that there's even a stat out there, but I'd love to know how many times teams have onside kicked in a year. Because I feel like we've broken that because we've <laughs> onside kicked a bunch of times uh, this year, more than more than I'm used to having to do. Let me throw you a little bit of curveball here, Jimmy, because – I've, I've thought about this. Some of the spring leagues, those alternative leagues like XFL, you know, USFL, some of those things, they're looking at other ways rather than the traditional onside kick. A lot of a lot of football fans say the old onside kick is just too difficult to convert. And so they'd rather see something of maybe have to convert like a fourth and fifth, fourth and 18 or something, some kind of difficult offense to play. What are your thoughts on that? I, I know I think I know what you're going to answer, but do you, do you prefer the old school onside kick or are you are you one of those coaches that, that's open to an alternative for an onside kick? Man, that's, I'm such a traditionalist and a purist <laughs> sometimes that it would be hard to say, um, okay, you know, we want the ball back. So in order to do that, we got to we got to play an offensive play. Sure, in yeah. Order to do that, I mean, I think it's great for those other leagues to experiment with that. But until we, uh, I think until all of us uh, kind of, you know, traditional fans uh, kind of buy into that, it'd be hard pressed to get get me to want to do that. I, I think we'll chill, still try the onside kick for now. Oh, I love it. And I knew, I've known you a long time, Jimmy. I knew that was going to be your answer. You know me, I'm kind of pie in the sky kind of guy. I'd love to see the change, but, but no, I, I love that answer from you, Jimmy. Now let's, let's turn our, so we're going to put this one to bed. It was a, it was a great effort against a really good Jordan team, but this season is not over. It is certainly not over. And I, I was talking with you about this off air, Jimmy. I just, I've been in seasons like this, you know, places I've coached. It reminds me a lot of, of a team I coached at Aldine one year. 
and we were struggling, but we were kind of getting better and better. One night we went out there or one afternoon went out there and we beat a Nimitz team that ended up making the playoffs. So a, a team that won two games, went two and eight, beat a playoff team. It happened. And I feel like your team is just like that, Jimmy. You just, you've, you've, just, you've come so close, so close. And I just feel like there's going to be that one moment where you just shock everybody and you get the big win. And I don't see why, any reason why this game this week on Thursday night against the Peyto Panthers can't be that moment. But I'm curious, you're, you're beginning your film study. It's early here on a Sunday. Coaches definitely work all day on Sundays. You're starting to look at some tape now. You're going to meet with your coach this afternoon to finalize what you're doing. But what are your first thoughts um, that you can share with us at, about what you're seeing from the Peyto Panthers? I'm going to comment about what you said early, then I'll talk about Peyto. Um, I think there are nine playoff-capable teams in 196A, and I, I really mean that not because I'm, I'm just one of those nine. I think when you look at us in comparison to some of the other school districts or, excuse me, UIL districts around 6A, you know, you plucked out one or two teams and put them in another uh, UIL district, you might see – uh, teams with maybe a losing record right now be have be have a winning record to get somewhere else. Now I know we can't, you know, uh, you know, forecast the future and know that that would happen. But I really do feel like the talent, top to bottom, that's why you see the scores that you're seeing. You know, a 31-21 game uh, with us. You know, where you might see somebody like you know you saw Cinco beat Tompkins earlier in the year. You saw Morton beat Cinco. I mean, just like you just don't know what's going to happen in this district. And so I think and Jimmy, can mind. I speak to one thing? Uh, one thing to uh, speak to that real quick. You know, you talk about the uh, Maid Creek, who's winless in 196A. They came in undefeated throughout their non-district play. So I mean, I just wanted to share that with the listeners. I mean, that just shows I mean, Maid Creek struggled in district play, but they they came in undefeated coming into district play. Absolutely, and and I just I think it you know it it's a little misleading sometimes to like know if a team is good or bad just based on score or just based on standings. Because I just I truly believe there's nine capable playoff teams in 196A, and for the listeners out there, there's only nine teams in 196A. I think all of them are are capable. Um, it's just there's only going to be four that make it. Five are going to there's going to be five good teams sitting at home, you know, licking their wounds in round in round one that aren't going to get to play. But um, you know, I wanted to say that first. I think this district's full of great football talent, great coaches, and, and great uh, rivalries. That, that caused some of the things to happen that we see right now. Uh, speaking about Peyto a little bit, you know, they're, they're in, enduring some, some changes. I know, especially schematically offensively, they had been a, a spread offense primarily throwing the ball. Uh, and although the Cinco and Peyto played at the same time we were playing, but we got a scouting report from the junior high as well as the film, and they were much different. They came out with a running style attack you know, with two tight ends and two backs right off the bat against Peyto. So I'm going to continue to look into to, to what we're going to see. We're going to be prepared for both both the spread offense and then the more traditional, you know, power underneath the center eye offense. And so we'll be ready for either one as they come our way. But uh, that's going to be kind of like the question mark right now because I, I don't know exactly what we're going to see offensively. But I do know defensively they have talent all over the place. Three, you know, D1 players, you know, the, prop, the number one kid in Texas, DJ, DJ Hicks playing defensive line, um, you know, they just committed to uh, A&M on, on ESPN a couple of weeks ago during their off week. You know, they got a, a great player, Kilgore, a linebacker. You know, they also have a secondary player that's a great player. Uh, all three, D, a D1 player at every level of their defense. And they're going to have several, several uh, college signees when, when the season's over. Uh, so there's a lot of talent there. Um, but we're definitely, you know, I, 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 like you said, I think they're right for the pick. And 
Um, right now, they're just trying to figure some things out over there uh, um, for Peto. So we're going to you know, be right there to hopefully take one from them. Yeah, they had kind of had a little bit of a lull in the middle of the season where they dropped a 41 to 13 game against Jordan, who we just played, you know, to a 10 point game. So they, they fell 41 to 13 and then they they took one on the nose against the Katy Tigers. But I think some eyebrows might have been raised this past weekend because Cinco has just been really on fire this year. And it was a 35 to 24 victory for Cinco over Peto. But, you know, I'm just curious your thoughts on that as you begin to study the film. I mean, we're uh, I think I was surprised you know, uh, to see the, the, the score so close there. It sounds like maybe some of these changes they're making offensively are, are, are starting to pay some dividends. Yeah, I think they, they took some players from the defensive side of the ball and using them a little bit on offense. And, mm-hmm. they, you know, that, that makes a difference. You know, also like it, when, when you go to a ball control offense instead of the spread, throwing the ball around a lot, you know, you limit the possessions both teams get. And so it makes everyone a little bit more important. And then what you see is closer, tighter games because uh, because the wide open style might the ball control happens a little more than the incomplete passes. And so, you know, that's one thing I'm just not sure. I, you know, I got every other week I, I've come in and talked to you about the next team and I got to feel like I know what we're going to see. And I'm, I'm curious. I don't, I don't know right now because they've done a couple different things offensively, but defensively I feel pretty strong, you know, uh, that, that we're going to, we, we, we're going to see both a, an even, and at times, depending on the situation, they drop into an odd or a three-man front. But we'll be prepared, prepared for there. And there have been a little more you know, schematically consistent um, on the defensive side of the ball. But um, that, that is kind of what I um, – I'm not real sure, you know, 35-24, how that, how that um, is going to you know be for us. I'm not, I'm not real sure yet. Well, all the coaches' wives, you know, Elena and April, I think they're going to have to – we have to send a text that it might be a late night at the office tonight because you're, you're facing a team that's changing a lot. And that, that's the life of a coach. I know, you know, whenever we see new stuff on film, it's the Seven Lakes coaches are going to, the light's going to be on at the field house uh, this evening if you drive by the high school. But we're so thankful that y'all are working so hard for that as you prepare uh, the upset minded Spartans preparing for a big matchup against Peto. And coach, as always, let's talk about the sub varsity. Did we, did we keep things rolling as we have been doing most of the year? Yeah. We, um, so, and- Thursday night, we got a little lightning storm that hit, you know, Jordan and Jordan and Seven Lakes are only about three or four miles apart. Um, and so we got a little lightning storm that came and actually canceled our, both of our uh, freshman orange and JV orange teams that, mm. you know, our freshman orange teams undefeated, but didn't get to play Jordan. Uh, unfortunately, we got to end up playing the later games that evening. Um, and we did not, we, we played well, but did not win either one of them. So we only got two of our four games. I don't really know. I, it was kind of like uh, we left some, something on the table there. So I'm not real sure. Uh, you know, we played really well that I, I was at the freshman game, freshman blue team game at home versus Jordan. We played them really well, uh, ended up losing, but um, you know, we matched up really well against them. And so I, I don't know, question mark, I guess this week, uh, just because we didn't get to see all teams play. And coach, again, this is a Thursday night game at six o'clock. And so are the Thursday night games all at Rhodes or how? Yeah, Thursday night at 6 o'clock, all the 6 o'clock games are going to be at Legacy. Okay. So we'll be at Legacy. We're actually uh, the away team uh, versus Peyto. Uh, so we'll be on the opposite, not, not, not on the press box side of the stadium. All right, so let's get out there. Let's let's be early. Uh, let's be loud, and let's bring home a big victory for the Spartans. Thanks again, Coach, so much for joining us, and go Spartans. Go Spartans.